This message entitled, A Matter of Not Beginning 2024 with Anger, was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on January 7th, 2024 by the Reverend Roy D. Warren Jr. The scripture reference is Matthew chapter 2. Father, I want to thank you, dear God, for what you have for us here today. We've made quite a point out of it, dear God, that we're not going to really delve into the entire coming of the wise men. We already did that. But what we haven't seen, dear God, at least not this year, we haven't seen the end of the story. So I pray, dear God, that you'll open that up to our hearing, to our understanding, and to our believing, and allowing you, dear God, to have your way. Hallelujah. We thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've entitled this a <clears throat> matter of not beginning, of not beginning the year 2024 in anger or with anger. Um, now, what am I talking about? Well, I mentioned this back a couple of weeks ago, but this is really where I want to deal with it. There's a lot of, you'll hear a lot of people talk like this, especially before the new year came. It was like, they can't wait for New Year's. Just can't wait. 2024. We got to get rid of this old year. It's been nothing but a pain. It's been it, it's been trouble since you know day one basically. So let's get rid of this old year and let's get into the new year, and then everything's going to be a whole lot better. Well, the problem with that kind of thinking is that first of all, you're wasting time. Now, I'm not saying anybody's doing that. Okay. I mean, people out there in the world, they're doing that. They're doing a lot of it. They've got an anger towards this past year, okay? And they're wishful thinking, I suppose, that somehow this next year is going to be a whole lot better. And it's going to be happier, you know? And I mean, I'll be honest with you. There's people that have had illnesses. They've had losses, tragedies in their families and in their lives they've lost loved ones and so forth through this past year and it would be so easy to look back on that year and go mm, you know can't wait for this one to be gone because it did this to me and it did that to me and we need the new year and then everything's like it's going to be a whole lot better well uh and it can be if we keep our eyes on jesus all right but if we start out coming out of the old year and coming into the new year with an anger towards the previous 365 days, uh, we, first of all, are missing the point. We are missing the point. We are also making a big mistake, okay? Because quite frankly, by the time we get down to the end of 2024, a lot of people are going to have an anger towards this year and can't wait for 2025. And I know that for a fact because it happens every year. You hear people talk about it. You, you hear it. It might be in the stores. You'll overhear somebody. might be down the block. You'll overhear a neighbor or something say, yeah, I can't wait for this year to be done. Can't wait for it to be gone. And, and we, we talk like that because we've experienced troublesome times. And it's kind of natural to do that, I suppose. But God is trying to say, don't waste the time. Don't waste the time. But, you know, God gave it. 
God gave this past year. God gave the year before that and the year before that. And yeah, the year of the pandemic, God gave it. Okay? And we've got to, we've got to see that God has a purpose and a plan for all of it. But he's also got a purpose and a plan for the new one coming up. And we can't jump ahead either. We can't say, oh, well, if you think that one's going to be bad too. No, I didn't say I think it's going to be a bad one too. I'm not saying that. I think our perspective of a year that we've already lived through, we remember, you know, the hard places. We remember the places that were tough, the losses, the maybe you lost your job or, you know, whatever it might be. It's just, you know, we, we remember those sort of things. Can't wait for the new year because everything's going to be better. Well, I want you to understand something here. That's not how God wants us to see time. It's not how he wants us to see time. Oh, it's not that we didn't experience some hard things through the past year or the year before that or the year before that. But that's no reason to just, you know, wrap it all up in a knot and throw it away and, and then go, ah, oh, now this is going to be nice and easy. No, no, no. Life is life, okay? I want to be clear about that. So, I mean, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, but I want to be real clear about it because when we get down to the end of the Christmas story, man, there's a lot of anger. There is a lot of anger. I'm going to show you that. We're going, to, we're going to build up to it, but we're going to build up to it very quickly, and I'm not going to talk about it, because we already did. Matthew 2. So it really is a matter of not beginning 2024 in anger. Okay? We need to see that all time is given by God. And he's got a purpose and he's got a plan behind all of it. And we just need to look to him. Amen? Really. Whether it's looking backward or whether it's looking forward. Okay? We need to look to him. Well, you know chapter 2. Well, it talks about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And it was in the days of King Herod. Uh, there came wise men from the east, it says in verse 1. This is chapter 2, verse 1 of Matthew. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. We saw the star in the east. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. He was troubled. He was agitated. And all Jerusalem with him too. I mean, you got to remember now, this guy is king of the Jews and there's rumors of a new king, right? He's about to be replaced. He's about to lose his job, about to lose his position. So he's going to look at that past year and that past, those past days as stuff to be mad about. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he demanded to them where Christ should be born, okay? Because the religious leaders, they knew it was in the Bible. <laughs> See, you've got to remember, yeah, Herod may be called king of the Jews, but he is not Jewish, okay? In fact, he's from 
a group of people known to be enemies of the Jews. And yet he was chosen to be the current king of the Jews. But he's not Jewish. So he doesn't know a lot of stuff. Okay? And so he calls together his uh, priests and scribes and, yeah, chief priests, it says here, scribes, people together, demanded of them where the Christ should be born. And they said, well, it's in Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. That's where it is. It's funny that they would know. <laughs> I mean, because they're so busy trying to mess everything up that how would they know? But anyway, they were right. It was in Micah. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall a governor, shall come a governor, a leader, a ruler, that shall rule my people Israel. We're talking Jesus here, people. This is the birth of the Messiah. And it's going to be in Bethlehem. It's not going to be in Jerusalem. Okay? See, if they had followed the star and the star took them to Jerusalem, the star was wrong. It's not where he is. So you can know from that that that's not what happened. In fact, the Bible says it clearly. That's not what happened. But we're not going to talk about that because I already did. Okay? All right. Then Herod, uh, when he had privily called the wise men together, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. How long ago was this? Was it days? Was it months? Was it? Because you got to remember now, these guys traveled all the way from Iran and and Iraq, and you know, fifteen hundred miles on the back of a camel. You know, it's going to take some time. Going to take months, in fact, to do this thing. Well, then Herod says to them, he says, "Now I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him." I want you to bring word again. I want you to come and tell me about it because I want to go and worship him too. Now, these guys are not mind readers, all right? They do, they, no way do they know exactly what's, behind, what's in Herod's mind on this and what he's going to be doing and stuff. But God in his mercy showed them, gave them a vision in a dream. This comes up just a little bit later. And so that they would know not to go back the same way. Stay away. Okay? All right. When they had heard the king, they did depart. Now watch. And lo, the star which they saw in the east, it does not say they followed it to Jerusalem. They knew to go to Jerusalem because that's where you would think the king would be born, right? Because Herod lives there. He's got a palace there in Jerusalem. That's where you would think that you would find this baby. So that's what they did. Well, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So it's like, if I've been rather graphic about describing it, but I think they you know, went through the front door, were out on the front porch and looked up and bam, there it was. Right there, for them, on purpose, by God, all right, to get them to the exact location. They didn't even have to go to Bethlehem and knock on every door. They didn't even have to do that. The star went over and shined this light down. Praise the name of Jesus. 
I don't know how it does it, okay? I don't know how it does it. I think it's specially made by God, you know, uh, and, uh, and somehow had a beam of light, and that beam came down, and it was right on that house. I think it would be kind of interesting that once we get that little house built, and we bring it up here, and we put the wise men around it, and all of a sudden, a beam of light comes down through the ceiling. I think that would be something. <laughs> okay? But that's about what it was. And so they didn't have to go search. They didn't have to hunt. You know, Herod said, search diligently. Well, as it turns out, the star is the one that knew exactly where they were. Praise God. Praise God. When they saw the star, when they saw the star, they hadn't seen it for months. But when they saw the star, they rejoiced. And look at this. And we talked, and that's why I'm not going to talk about this. Because it was with exceeding great joy. It wasn't just joy, it was great joy. And it wasn't just great joy, it was exceeding great joy. But I already talked about that. I want to get to the end of the story. All right? But I got to kind of light the path, so to speak. So they come and they open the, they get into the house and I wonder about this. It mentions Mary's there. And, um, but it doesn't mention anything about Joseph. Well, I'm kind of guessing that, you know, that they're back in, you know, that they're there in Bethlehem and they're staying on, so to speak, and they're not in the stable, they're in a house. And I would imagine they got a bill to pay, probably a rent bill, and maybe utilities, I don't know. But I'm guessing Joseph's out working. No mention of him, he's not there. You'd think maybe he'd be there. Can you imagine when he comes home, if that's the case, and he comes home, and Mary says, you're just not going to believe this, Joseph. But there were guys here from way far away. Fancy robes, fancy headdresses, gifts for our baby. And Joseph's like, <laughs> can, can you just picture it? It's like, and I had to go to work. <laughs> I had to go to work. I'm guessing that's where he is. There's no mention of him. But they came and they worshiped Jesus and they opened their treasures. And they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. But the story is not done. Okay? The story's not over. Praise the Lord, it's not over. It was a driving rain. So instead of walking to the subway, the woman decided to call a taxi. She had no sooner hung up the telephone receiver when she heard the taxi outside the door honking. She couldn't figure it out. How, it was just minutes ago. Called for a taxi and boom, it's there. What's going on here? It seems the driver was just around the corner when the company utilized its new computerized finding system to notify the drivers of potential customers, people waiting for a cab. Okay? 
And of course, the driver, he comes up, not knowing about her concern or her worry about the whole thing. You know, he says, pretty fast service, huh? Being pretty proud about the whole thing and thought she'd be thrilled. But you know what she said? She said, too fast for me. Too fast for me. I think maybe I had better walk. You, think, you see what she's saying? She sees the guy got there in no time. That means he much, must have been speeding. Not only that, it's raining, and I'm going to go out and get in a cab with a guy who speeds all over town? No, I think maybe I'd better walk. <coughs> and these wise men, they wanted so much to find this baby. Like I said, the Bible doesn't say they were on camels or but probably they were. But still, it would take a long time. It would take months, probably, to go 1,500 miles. Maybe ran into all kinds of weather, too. Of course, most of it's desert. So I don't know how snowy or rainy or anything else that it might have been. But this woman got a little fearful. A little fearful. And that oftentimes comes through misunderstanding. Now the question is going to be, what is Herod misunderstanding? And what are the wise men, if at all, misunderstanding? Okay? This woman got a little scared about the whole thing. Uh, figuring she's going to end up getting in a wreck with this guy driving so recklessly. And sometimes that can get us into a place where we get indignant, where we get bugged, where we even become angry. Now, today, and I've mentioned this already, but let me say it again, today is Epiphany Sunday. Yesterday is actually the day of Epiphany. It's always January 6th, okay? And uh, it's, a, it's a time period from Epiphany onward to take time to see how obvious Jesus is or to look at Jesus in such a way that he becomes obvious. That's maybe a better way to put it. That he becomes conspicuous. We've talked of this before. But before we move into any new year, we've got to see these things. Okay? And that's what, that's what this is talking about. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a time for vision. It's a time for recognizing just really who he is. It says here, and uh, well, let me take you through the first few verses, okay? From 13 on, just 13, 14, 15, right in there. You Ready? And when they were departed, talking about the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. What a miraculous thing this must have been. Because you'll notice it says, the angel of the Lord. And all through the scriptures, we see that as a picture of, a, of, of, of the Christ before the incarnation, a pre-incarnate Christ appearing. 
Oh, you see it all through. Uh, you can go way back into the Old Testament and see it. Uh, all through. It's not just an angel. It doesn't say an angel. It says the angel. And I know the Christ is not an angel, but he's an angelic type of being in that he can appear and he can give direction. He can give the, what people need to see and what people need to know. This says the angel of the Lord. Now, how does God do this? The baby's already been born. <laughs> okay. The angel of the Lord. I told you before in my uh, reading plan that I have in my Bible, uh, it has, uh, you know, you, it reads to you, and I follow it along and watch it, stop it when I want to look something up or whatever. But uh, anyway, as you're doing that, it goes ahead and uh, reads in a particular voice. You know, Saul is in there and he's got a particular voice. David is in there and he's got a particular, Abraham, and, and there's a voice for him too. Well, the voice that's used repeatedly throughout this Bible is and the various versions of it is the voice that's used for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's literally true because who knows exactly what Jesus sounded like and what his voice was, you know, through his ministry. But they purposely, they're, they're, they're trying to get you to understand that this is the Son of God pre-incarnate that is revealing these amazing things beforehand, okay? I was just reading just this morning, just this morning in Genesis and about Abraham and how many times this pre-incarnate Christ appears to Abraham and points the way, okay? So this angel, this of the Lord, appears to Joseph in a dream. Now, how does God do that when the baby's already born? If God wants to do it, he can do it, okay? And besides that, Joseph doesn't know what the baby's going to sound like when he's grown up. So he doesn't know what the voice is. And I'm not even saying it is the voice, okay? I'm just saying the, the, it, it just makes it pretty clear that there are some very special things going on in the Bible that God doesn't just leave to Gabriel or others, not that they don't do a good job, okay? But the pre-incarnate Christ, this is almost universally believed throughout the scriptures. And so um, there he is again. And in this dream, he says, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, now I want you to notice how faithful Joseph is. And I do believe that's why Joseph and Mary were chosen for the positions they were given. Because God knew they would do what they were told to do. They would, they would do what God asked them to do. They would, and they would do it immediately. Okay? They didn't put it off, procrastinate, or anything like that. Remember what Mary said? In the moment that she's being told she's going to have this baby, she says, be it unto me, God. Be it unto me. I will do whatever you say now. 
And that's, she did it right there in the moment. Same thing here. Joseph arises from bed, gets up, doesn't wait for the alarm clock to go off, doesn't wait for it to be mid-morning or late morning and get his brunch, you know, and then go ahead and, uh, and, and take off and, you know, take all day to get there or whatever. I don't know how long it would take to get there, probably more than a day. But when he arose, he took the young child and his mother, and not, he's not talking about Joseph's mother, he's talking about Jesus' mother, okay? The young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Do not, long, do not know how long it took them, but, it, but he did it right away. And that's the thing about Mary and Joseph. They, they don't put things off. They just, they're obedient in the moment. Verse 15 says, And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now watch, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, in other words, by the wise men, he was exceeding wroth. He was majorly bugged. He was mad. He was mad, exceedingly filled with wrath. And he sent forth some soldiers, some officers. They rode over into Bethlehem and they slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years older and under. Now, I'm not going to say for sure, but I've said before, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they didn't take the time to check out and see which were the boys and which were the girls. Because the Bible, in the Greek, does not specifically say male. It says children under age two. All right? So this could be girls and boys. Could be. According to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. He felt mocked. He felt put down. He felt bugged. It was really, this was a very hard thing for him. He, got, he went off in a rage, if I could put it that way. The Greek word that's used here for this wrath or this wrath is thumao. Thumao. Watch out for thumao. That's what I say. If we're going to come into the new year, let's not look back on the old year and, you know, I hated that and I hated that and why did this have to happen and so forth. And, you know, and then we move into this new year. Quite likely, we're going to feel the same way about the new year by the time it comes to an end. That's what happens. That's why you hear people carrying on about the old year, year after year after year. Okay? You'll remember last week I used an illustration from a pastor that lives down south and he brought up about Moses. And here's another, here's another illustration that he used, which I didn't mention last week. It was Moses' temper. 
It was his anger that kept him from realizing the central purpose of his life. He was called by God. He was commissioned to lead. He was brought out of the fields of Midian and uniquely equipped to bring his own people through the wilderness. Okay, But he never actually ended up standing in the land of Canaan. And it was because of his anger. God even told him, he says, I'm not going to let you in. All you've done to get the people here and you don't get to go in because you didn't do it my way. You got filled with anger. Psychologists tell us that there are five levels, five degrees of the emotion that we call anger. They do the same thing, by the way, with grief. You know, they got five stages that you go through when you're dealing with grief. And these, this now is concerning anger. The first level is you got irritated. Something, something bugged you. Something, okay? For Herod, it was that he felt mocked because the wise men didn't come back to tell him where Jesus was. The second level of this anger is indignancy. That's where we get kind of high and mighty. You know, like we kind of rise up and we know what we're talking about. You know? But that came out of irritation. Indignancy. Then our indignant spirit turns to wrathful action. We do something that shows that we are really majorly bugged. And then fury comes after the wrath. Oh, I mean, like, you know, you've seen people different times. Maybe you've seen yourself. I don't, I'm not saying. I'm just saying, you know, watch out for the place where this thing grows. You know, from irritation, just an irritation, just something. I mean, as, as you know, you drop your phone or something and you wonder if you broke it and you get kind of irritated and you feel like kicking it across the room. <laughs> not saying I've done that. I'm just saying that's people, you know, that's, we, we go through these levels, all right? And then comes the, the fury, comes after the wrath and then the fury actually feeds what's going on in you to the point where you become full of rage. And this doesn't take a long time to go through, by the way. These five steps can go boom, 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 you know, right along. What about the, the, the people that engage in what we call road rage, you know? Be out on the road, somebody cuts them off or didn't use a signal or whatever. And right away, it's, I mean, it went from indignant to this to that, and bam, in seconds. It doesn't have to take months or years or anything, okay? Anger is a pretty serious thing, and its consequences, as in the case of Moses, can be absolutely devastating. He brought those people all the way through, dealt with them day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, basically, all kinds of different things, difficult things, okay? Gets down to the end and God says, you're not going to get in there. 
They're going to go in, but I'm not letting you in because you didn't do it my way. Moses was irritated by nearly 40 years of crying and complaining by the people of Israel. He was indignant that they would still be saying, if only we had died. You can imagine this. You know, After you brought them all the way out, after you've done everything for them, and they say, boy, I wish we would have died back there. If we had only died with our brothers in the wilderness, imagine how, how difficult that's to take. His wrath began to burn when they cried, why did you bring us here? As if the exodus had been his idea and not God's idea. <laughs> and his wrath became fury when he struck the rock at Meribah. And God said, I didn't tell you to do that. You did it your way. You didn't do it my way. God's judgment for Moses' anger was pretty quick. Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy. To treat every aspect of me as holy. You shall not bring this assembly into the land. Moses' anger reflected the unbelief that was still in his heart. And his action dishonored God before his people. People saw it. People saw him do it. You know, like I said, he was bugged, majorly bugged. And, you know, hit the thing. And hit it more than once even, I think. Our anger, too, can often be traced to what uh, Pastor Young calls disbelief. But maybe it's clearer if you say unbelief. And when we let it loose in a fit of fury, the God we say is ours is not treated in the holy way that he requires. Hmm. I read this at the beginning of the service, but I told you I wanted to share it more than once because I want you to listen very carefully to what he's saying. This is Tozer. I hope I can get to it. Ah, there it is. This is Tozer. Now listen very carefully. Every deed done out of anger or spite, for instance, will be found at last to have been for the enemy, for Satan, and against the kingdom of God. It is doubtful whether any sin is ever committed until it first incubates, you know, grows in the thoughts long enough to stir the feelings and predispose the will toward it favor. Even the sudden flash of anger, which of all sins would appear on the surface to have the lowest of mental content. And in other words, you didn't think about this very carefully. And then you, you do this display of anger, you know, as the lowest mental content. I just want you to get what he's getting at here. Is anything but a sudden eruption of the emotions. It's not sudden. It grew. It was incubated. Incubated. It was like, 
you know, like a little chick, you know, and the egg, and it grows into the chick, and or hatches, etc., etc., etc. The instructed Christian knows that the wrath of God is a reality, that his anger is as holy as his love. I'll say it again. It's so crucial that we get this, especially this sentence. His anger is as holy as his love. Now we look at that and we think, wait a minute. You know, anger, we should, we're not supposed to be angry and so forth. But the Bible says that God says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In other words, you don't get the luxury, so to speak, to think along these lines. But God is allowed to be angry at sin. Okay? So that the wrath of God is a reality that his anger is as holy as his love. It's a powerful statement. And that between his love and his wrath, there is no incom incompatibility. When I typed that up the other day and sent it to the paper, I almost said compatibility. <laughs> and I caught that, praise God, I caught that. It's incompatibility. It's not that I catch everything, but that I caught that. <laughs> All right, praise God. Praise God. So we know what Herod did about it. He was all majorly <clears throat> bugged. He was mad. He was angry. He was full of wrath. He sends a bunch of people out. He doesn't evidently go himself. He sends some soldiers out. Uh, and uh, the order, of course, is to kill the babies. Okay? Trying to get Jesus. Hoping that they're catching Jesus. But God, in his mercy, is way ahead of them. And it might have only been by an hour or two. We don't know. But God is always ahead of evil. God is always ahead. And he allowed Joseph to realize, you better get that kid and you better get his mother down into Egypt. You got to get away from this place. Because Herod is looking to kill that baby. We've gone through quite a bit to get this baby here. So you've got, to get the, you've got to get this baby safe and sound. Okay. So he was out to kill the babies. When he did, he ran over. They went there, killed the babies. Okay. But I think it might be a whole lot better if we saw what God did with this instead of focusing all our time on what this bad guy did. What Herod did. What did God do with this whole story? It was actually a fulfillment of prophecy, which ultimately proves that God is God. And either way, good or bad, easy or difficult, God is smarter. God is quicker. God is far better than anything else. Amen? Look at verses 17 and 18. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Okay. In Ramah, 
was there a voice heard? This is the scripture that backs up what happened there in Bethlehem that night. Lamentation and weeping and great mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. They're gone. They're gone. Let me take a moment, especially since we've been in Jeremiah. Go to where we haven't been yet. Jeremiah 32. We're not there yet, but we can do that today. Look at Jeremiah 32. Okay? Let me show you where this emanates from. I'll pick it up. Let's see. Where do I want to pick it up? How about I just pick it up at 13? You can go further back to get the full context, which you could do later today if you'd like. But anyway, I'll just go back to 13. And I charged Baruch, that was his assistant, okay, before them saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts. I'm in verse 13 and 14. This is Jeremiah 32, okay? Take these evidences, okay? Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. In other words, God is saying, in his mercy, he is saying, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not done with this people and I'm not done with their land. And we've been seeing a lot. You know, we go through, we're doing it chapter by chapter and we're going through and we're seeing a lot of, lot of places where it's real clear that God has a wrath towards sin. And like I said, he's allowed to have that because he's God. And so he's made it clear. He's judging it. He's judging it. But now he says clearly, and this is, remember now, this is chapter 32 of the same book that we've been in for quite a while. 32. And thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord saying, now here it is, watch this. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. There's nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness, which is another way of putting mercy, unto thousands and recompensest, 
Okay, that's old English word. The iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And you can read before that, you can read after that to get the full context. But I think you're beginning to get the idea. It sounds absolutely horrible. These soldiers show up and they got their swords and they got their axes and I don't know what all. And they're killing all these babies, all right? But God is God. And when people insist on being full of anger, they can only understand one thing. Their own understanding. Their own feelings. Okay, but God is God and he's allowed to have wrath against sin. Okay, and it's the wrath of God that understands not just many things, but understands all things. We, on the other hand, we have, we're very limited. We get this and we get that, maybe, okay. And a lot of people look at this whole story and go, why would God allow that? Why would God allow that? It fulfilled prophecy. All right? Remember what Tozer was talking about? That God's anger is just as holy as his love. And by holy, I think it's talking about a purposefulness. God's anger, God's wrath towards sin is filled with purpose. It's to draw people away from it and into a surrender to him. Purpose of drawing us into a submission and a surrender. But now we're going to see what God is going to do about the whole thing. Look at verse 19 and following. Okay? But there's that contrastive conjunction again. You just about always have to have one of those if you're going to get anywhere with this stuff. Okay? There's this, this, and this, but Herod was dead. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt before they left and made it clear again. Just like I told you to come to Egypt, now I'm telling you to get out of here. Okay? Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Go back up into Israel. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But... Oh boy, but when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. He was afraid to go up to Israel and stay there because there's this Archelaus now. And, and by the way, he was, be, he was known for being worse 
than King Herod. <laughs> if that would be possible, but he was known for that. Notwithstanding, see, I love these words. I, lo I love some of these words that are in here, like notwithstanding. What do you got there? One, two, three words, all put together into one word, notwithstanding. If anybody doesn't feel like standing, it's Joseph. Joseph has heard about this Archelaus. He doesn't want anything to do with this. He's scared. Okay, he's scared. And God had said, go up to Israel. But Joseph is scared because he's heard of this Archelaus. And he knows what kind of guy he is. He's heard all kinds of stories. Notwithstanding. Do you get that? Joseph is not able to stand, notwithstanding. He's not, he's not able to stand. God, help me. I'm not able to stand against this thing. You've said, go up to Israel, but I hear about this Archelaus. I can't do this. And then God, in his mercy, warns him in a dream again. On the journey, on the way, okay? And he turned aside. Instead of going from Egypt, you get the picture? Going from Egypt, you know, up to Israel. And then he turns aside, basically going north, and travels up into Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Now, as we read this, it almost tries, it almost seems to be making it sound like they had no idea where this was. Now, you've got to remember, this is where they lived before they went down to Bethlehem. And it might be that Mary and Joseph had kind of like halfway decided to settle into Bethlehem. They had gotten into this house, and now, you know, that's in Judea, and he's being told to go back up into Judea. So my guess would be he's still going back up to Bethlehem. Maybe he has the house, maybe still is renting the house. I don't know. Or he's going to rent it again or rent another one or something. But it looks like Joseph is pretty well settled on settling. Maybe even right there in, uh, you know, in uh, Bethlehem. Okay. But he was warned in a dream, don't go there. This guy you're all worried about, he rules over that area. You need to go out of this area. And he came and dwelt with Do you believe the mercy of God in all of this? This is the end of the story. All right? You know, I mean, there's so much to this. It's unbelievable. And he came, almost unbelievable. Okay? It says he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. That's where they had been from, right? Okay? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Jesus would be. He'd be called a Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. How many times do we find that title? How many times do we find that? Th it doesn't say Jesus of Bethlehem. It says Jesus of Nazareth. The word Nazareth refers to a consecration. It refers to a being set apart. It's, it refers to a God sending them into a particular thinking, 
Well, that's maybe the best way to put it. A particular thinking, not just a location, but a particular thinking. Go on up, raise the boy up in Nazareth, and he'll be known as Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, Jesus of consecration. Jesus who is set apart for God's work. See, that's why Jesus, when he was only 12 years old, said, Mom, you know, you're telling me, how come I did this? How come, you know, and we spent three days looking for you. And basically Jesus says, why did you spend three days? Didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? Why didn't you look at the temple first? That's where I was. He's not being a smart aleck, okay? And he's, and he's not being disrespectful. He's simply saying, remember, I am Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus of Jerusalem or Bethlehem. I am consecrated. I am set apart for a purpose by God. Separated and consecrated. By extension, by the way, in the definition, by extension, a Christian. <laughs> That's what it says. So Jesus is the ultimate Christian. Glory be to God. As he lives the Christ-like life. All right? God can turn any story around. It looks like it's heading for more than a disaster. You've got soldiers come into town, they kill these babies. Oh, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? <sighs> but we're not at the end of the story yet. I mean, we've come to the end of what's written here about this, but I'm just saying, it's not, it didn't end with the soldiers in Bethlehem. All right? So even this new year, coming now, here we are, seven days into it, 2024, it might, you, you, you might want to start with some anger, you might want to start with some fear, because you're looking back at the old year, and you didn't like this, and you didn't like that, and then you look, and then they're still doing it, I hear it on the news all the time, people, oh yeah, back in, you know, two, three years ago with the pandemic, there was this, and there was this, and there was this, it's anger, 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 all for this past stuff, we got to get into this new year, but you watch, at the end of the new year, people are going to be talking about it as being bad. That doesn't mean it is, because all of time is from God. All right? So you may feel like starting with some anger or starting with some fear, but don't forget, it ends with Jesus in Nazareth. <laughs> Consecrated. Okay? Devoted to God's direction. And quite frankly, that's what the story is all about. Oh, yes, it's got the babies being killed. And it's hard to imagine what that was like. I mean, it really is hard to even think about it. But Jesus lived. And Jesus was set apart. Jesus was consecrated in order to give us salvation. 
Amen? You see what I'm saying? Praise the name of Jesus. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the truth that is here in this story. Oh, we look at this thing and we see the, oh my goodness, these soldiers coming in and killing these babies. And oh, what a hard thing that had to have been. And of course it was. Of course it was. But the story's not over. And quite frankly, the story isn't over yet. Praise the Lord, because we've got Jesus leading the way. So we thank you, Lord. We praise your name. We love you, dear God. We know that you have a purpose and a plan. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can look out and we can see that taxi. It, it got there so fast, it just has to be a bad decision. I think I'll walk. I think I'll get drenched in the rain. So I'm not going to be driven by a maniac. She didn't understand. She didn't understand that they had a new system by which they could get the taxi there sooner than ever before. And I just pray, dear God, that we would understand and grasp and hold on to the truth of your holy word and help us to know that, dear God, even your anger is as holy as your love because it's got a purpose to bring us into the kingdom and to bring everybody, whosoever, into the kingdom if they will have it. So I want to thank you, praise you, and give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Amen.